This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. You're listening to the Happy as a Mother podcast, and today we are welcoming Dr. Stacy Tanaway, and she is here to teach us all about how to have a happy postpartum vagina. Dr. Stacy is an OBGYN, and she is very passionate about women's health. So if there is anybody qualified to talk about vaginas, it is her. You would think that this would be something that, you know, we would know about, considering we've had vaginas as long as the years we've been alive, but There are things that Dr. Stacy and I talk about that were news to me. We cover basic vagina hygiene, the stages that our vagina goes through during pregnancy and in the immediate postpartum period, and then in the year postpartum after baby and getting our groove back with our partner. Dr. Stacy's really approachable way even had me sharing some of my own vagina slash vulva personal experiences, which, you know, you'll have to tune in to learn a little bit more about. (laughs) So without further ado, let's dive on in. Welcome to the Happy as a Mother podcast, where we are dedicated to helping you cope with the load of motherhood. I'm your host and registered psychotherapist, Erica Jossa. Let's work together in letting go of shame and guilt, accepting where we are in our journey, and moving towards becoming the women we want to be. We will hear from experts, learn practical tips, and listen in on honest conversations. Please note that the information shared in this podcast is for educational purposes only and should not replace the advice of your healthcare provider. Okay, let's dive in. Dr. Stacy, thank you so much for being here today. This topic is one that makes me crack up because for a couple of reasons. Like the fact that I have such little knowledge in this area, first of all, is so funny to me considering I've had a vagina for all almost 32 (laughs) years of my life. And uh, now even more so being postpartum and having kids and having gone through all these body and life changes, I want to know more about myself and I want to know more about my body and how to care for it. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Erica. I am so excited to be here. I think you are exactly right and you are not alone. Uh, This is a topic postpartum that no one talks about, that no one really knows about or asks about because no one, I don't know, it's an embarrassing taboo topic. And it, yeah, we really do need to, to talk about it. I would love to, if we could, start off with how you got into your field and how, where did your passion for being an OBGYN come from? I love your Instagram page. I love how (laughs) sassy and informative you can be. I Like, I just love following you. So how did you get into this field? Yeah. So um, I went to medical school. There's, I'm the first doctor in my family. So I had no kind of family close role models to look at. And I really didn't know exactly what I wanted to do going into medical school. So I went in with a completely open mind. Um, And once I got there, I 
I really just loved, I loved a little bit of everything, but women's health just stuck out so much for me. Um, It was what I wanted to read when I got home. I was excited about studying for it and who's excited about studying. And so that was kind of the first um, kind of hint to me that that's probably where I should go. And there are several reasons why I just love women's health so much is, uh, first of all, I, no offense to men, but I've said this before and I'll say it again. I do not like male patients. I think women patients are just the most amazing (laughs) thing ever. Women are so cool and powerful and, and just so resilient. And I was always incredibly annoyed by whiny men. And, um, so it really, truly was one of the reasons that I went That's into women's so health because I love treating women um, and really just, you know, women don't know enough about their bodies and when knowledge is power. And so when you can teach a woman how her body works and what she can do to make her body happy and her vagina happy, um, it really is empowering for them. And um, yeah, it's something I really love to do. So education to women is is a huge passion of mine. And I really was lucky that I found that niche in medical school and went on the correct path. It's such an interesting journey that has brought you to where you are. Thank you so much for sharing that. And can I ask, it might seem like a silly question, but I really don't know the difference. So you've got like OBG or OBGYNs or gynecologists, like break it down. Are you the same? Different? <laughs> like, what does that even mean? Yes, it is not a silly question. This is a question that I've gotten recently quite a bit. So I actually have a post on it coming up. But so most if you say OBGYN or OBGYN, that means obstetrics and gynecology. Um, if we're when we're board certified, we're board certified in both both obstetrics and gynecology, specifically broken down obstetrics is the care of pregnant women during pregnancy. And gynecology is just women's health in general. So women at all other times besides pregnancy. Um, And so there are some people who just break down and then specialize just in obstetrics. And there are other um, providers that will just do GYN and not pregnancy obstetrics. So what I'm hearing is that you are the right person to tell me how to make sure that I keep my vagina healthy and happy. (laughs) Yes, I know all things vulva and vagina. I love that. And passion, like when you meet a provider or, you know, anyone else who is passionate about what they do, it's just infectious. And you learn that much more from them because they're just so well prepared, but also the passion for what they do. I don't know. There's just a connection that you can form with them. So I really appreciate that. And I feel like that really comes across and why I had reached out to you to begin with, because I just, I sense that passion from you. And I think that that's so valuable. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. I mean, that's, that's my whole goal. And so that means so much to me. So the concept of healthy vagina, like I don't even know where to start or what that means. So we're, we are going to focus on sort of during pregnancy and the postpartum period because that's a very, mm-hmm. um, there's quite a process that our vagina goes through in that time. So where do we start? Do we start in pregnancy? Um, I mean, I think you could, basically you can start just with the vagina itself because that's the same whether you're pregnant or not. The vagina itself is 
a healthy self-cleaning oven. So the basic concept of keeping it happy is usually to leave it alone. Don't do anything fancy. Don't add anything fancy. Don't try to add scents or um, fancy, like, I don't know, cleanses or anything like that. Leave it alone. It does a really great job of keep taking care of itself. Interesting. Um, and so through... Yeah. So throughout pregnancy, that's probably what you want to do. Leave it alone. Don't add stuff. Don't try to clean it with stuff. Um, yeah. Decrease scents, decrease soaps. You don't, you want something gentle and unscented and water in a washcloth is really all you need. So that's probably the basics of where to start. That's so interesting. And one of the things I saw on your Instagram was how you distinguish like maybe we can break down the anatomy a little bit, the vagina sure. versus the vulva or whatever. Like I'm so basic. I don't even know yeah. any of this stuff. So yeah. So, you know, in popular culture, everyone just says vagina, you know, my vagina, this, my vagina, that, but really what most people are talking about when they say that is the vulva. So the vulva is all of the external bits and pieces. So everything you can see or touch externally, that is your vulva. Um, and then internally, like where you place a tampon, that is your vagina. Okay. And would caring for the vulva and the outside be just a similar gentle washcloth, like nothing fancy? Yeah. They're, yeah, they're pretty similar. Um, you want, you know, less is more water in a washcloth or even water in your hand just to get kind of in the labial folds is really all you need. You want to decrease and limit scents, detergents, soaps, anything fancy, bath bombs, um, uh, bubble baths, all that stuff. No fancy stuff. Leave it alone. No frills. Just just no basics. Okay. Yes. <laughs> I've seen art like floating around on Instagram uh, from a lot of like body empowerment places and things about how vulvas and vaginas all like can look very different, right? Like boobs can oh, yes. look different or penises can look different that vulvas yes. and can look very different. And that's something that I never really like realized or thought about before. And I was having a conversation with another mom and she's got a daughter. She's like, yeah, like her stuff does not look like my stuff. Like, you know, like it <laughs> looks different. And like guys more readily see each other and can compare and we know it's right. different and what's normal, what's not normal. But right. women just don't talk about it. Don't share. We're certainly not going around showing each other generally, right? So yeah, yeah. But I guess vulvas can all look different. Yes. I mean, they're kind of like fingerprints, right? Like not, there's not one that, or there's not two that are exactly the same. They're all so, so different. Um, and there's, a, I mean, and that's what's also interesting and in that people, there's a huge range of normal, um, you know, smaller labia, bigger labia, bigger folds, smaller folds, uh, all of this stuff, there's a huge range of normal. So when women are looking at pictures of vulvas, and they think, oh, my gosh, that doesn't, that doesn't look like me, like I'm abnormal. No, you're probably not. You're probably perfectly normal, because there's just such a huge range of, of um, normal there. Um, 
And if you ever, the only time that we think of abnormal is really if you have labia that's super irritating or that's rubbing on your clothing or pinching during exercise or workout, and it's really getting in the way of your daily life, then that needs to be kind of addressed and looked at. But other than that, you really shouldn't notice your vulva on a daily basis. Like it shouldn't be something that is, is giving you any sort of symptoms that you're noticing. Okay. I am really wrestling with sharing this experience or not, but in the spirit of me being here to show up and have others show up and not feel alone, I'm going to talk about one of my personal experiences. And this is very uncomfortable for me. And I may have clients listening to this and Lord, (laughs) but here we go. Uh, When I was, I don't even know, young, I had um, I guess one of the things that you're talking about where the vulva or labia or whatever it's even called was um, becoming uncomfortable mm-hmm. because it would rub on yes. clothes or something like that, like kind of came out longer yep. than it should, I guess, um, to the point that it was like uncomfortable and interfering. And there was a lot of shame and being self-conscious uh-huh. about it from my perspective. To the point that I was quite young, I was like maybe 10 or 11 and recognizing like, I don't like I feel different, like this doesn't feel normal Mm -hmm. or whatever. Um, And the answer for me at that time was surgery to have it um, like shortened, I guess. So I don't know if that is something that's common or if that's for, like you said, one of those more extreme circumstances where it is starting to intervene and create like significant discomfort. Right. So that's that would be one of the indications for surgical intervention. Like I said, there's a huge range of normal. I had a patient not too long ago that came to me with the same sort of um, same sort of complaints and issues. You know, when I work out, I feel like it's pinching in my underwear. And sometimes I feel like I have to tuck it in and then it rubs and it's really irritating. And it, it's getting in the way of me wanting to run and exercise and all this sort of stuff. And when I, you know, looked at her, examined her, I reassured her, you know what, you are within the range of normal, but like if you are having such symptoms that are so bothersome for you, then we should start talking about intervention. And surgery certainly is one of those interventions that we think about to reduce the size of the labia if it is interfering with our daily lives. So no, I am not a fan of just strictly cosmetic vulvar surgery, but indicated when something is really getting in the way of our daily life, that is certainly something we think about and consider. And it's so crazy. Like, this is my experience. I don't think I've ever told anybody that. And now I've just like outed myself (laughs) on a recording, but whatever. Um, Like, but how many other people are out there experiencing maybe having questions about whether they're normal or abnormal or, you know, in pain or have had surgery and might feel shame about it because they haven't talked about it? I think probably 100% of women have questions about whether they're normal or not in the vulvar area. I really, truly think that not there's probably not one person out there that was like, oh, my vulva is so beautiful. Like, it's perfect, right? <laughs> Everyone at some point in their life is questioning, oh, my God, that looks weird. Is it not weird? Is it normal? Is it whatever? So I think everyone questions that. And whether or not it becomes an issue, that's more individual and probably a little less common. Like I said, Normal would be that you don't notice your vulva on a minute to minute daily sort of basis. Like it shouldn't be um, something that's causing you symptoms that you're constantly thinking about it. You know, like 
just like your toe or your finger. Like you don't constantly think about that all day. It's just there. Um, so if it is something that you're constantly thinking about because it's bothering you in some way, that's not as common. And that needs to be certainly addressed and brought up with your doctor. It's interesting. And when we talk like from a mental health perspective, which is the field mm-hmm. that I'm coming from, when we talk about yes. shame, the top areas that women feel shame about are one, mm-hmm. body image, body issues, motherhood, and yep. so on, right? But our vagina is not immune to that body image shame oh, and not at all. Like, thoughts that we have about ourselves. It is right? completely part of that. It, it is all 100% part of the body image. Okay. Well, now that I've just bared my soul to you, <laughs> I'm just kidding. That's it's it's so interesting, and it's so I'm so glad that we're having this conversation because at the end of the day, like I just we need this information. We need to mm-hmm. come together as women and have these conversations, and no right. one's immune to these right. types of feelings and things, right? So. Okay, back to our happy vagina conversation. (laughs) So we talked about taking care of the vagina. It is a self-cleaning oven. It takes care of itself. Same with our vulva and the outside is pretty low maintenance. Okay, and then we get pregnant. And then we're cooking this babe inside and all kinds of things are happening to our pelvis, our pelvic Mm -hmm. floor muscles and everything. So does taking care of our vagina change during pregnancy? Um, I think during pregnancy, so during pregnancy, skin can become very, very sensitive. And this includes the vulvar area. So, you know, when we're not pregnant, I'm talking about, you know, less is more, less is more. And that becomes even more apparent when we're pregnant because you become more sensitive. So if you used a certain body wash before and it was okay and fine the whole time, when you become pregnant, that might become irritating to you because your skin's going to be more sensitive. And so now we're, now we're even more aware of using less in that area to try to lessen the irritants and the contacts that we have. Um, so it's even being more vigilant and careful about those, you know, not adding anything there. Um, okay. Yeah. And I think during pregnancy, you know, the vaginal area and the vulvar area um, become more vascular. There's more blood flow to that area, right? Um, to the cervix, vagina, um, and vulva. And so um, more blood flow means um, more sensitivity, but it can also mean more pleasure during sex too. Um, so there's a lot of even positive things that we get um, during pregnancy with the hormonal change and the blood flow. Yeah. And then like I've had three boys. I know mm-hmm. you're a boy mom as well. So yes. boy moms. Um, during pregnancy, especially in those last few weeks, uh, I've heard different moms talk about like vagina bulge, like feeling like your <laughs> vagina is kind of like pushing out type of thing. And I'm assuming there's not a whole lot that can be done about that. Like we're pretty much nearing right. the end of, you know, what our pelvic floor right. and all that can handle. Is there any kind of way to care for those things or to reduce or is there any concern about um, that, I guess? Probably not so much concern, but when you've got a baby that's sitting down there in your pelvis with no support, you know, your your pelvic floor is weakened, all your ligaments are loosened, so you just, you have no support in the pelvis and the hips and the low back, that pressure from that head sitting down there is significant. And that's usually what women are referring to when they feel kind of like the bulge or like 
like that. It's they're falling out or something like that. Um, Cause as, as that baby drops down further, that pressure just becomes more and more apparent. Um, and, you know, things that can potentially help that are, you know, there's things like pregnancy support belts um, that go across the hips and help um, put pressure on the pubic bone um, that could potentially just help some of the hip and pelvis discomfort. But in terms of like that downwards bulge pressure, there's probably not a huge amount to do about it. Yeah. Right, right. Which kind of segues into our whole, okay, so vagina is about to go on the marathon yes. of her life yeah. right? in having this baby. And a lot of our vaginas, everyone has different birth experiences, yes. obviously labor and birth experiences. Um, but she generally comes out the other side looking a little yeah. different than how but she went in. Different. Right. <laughs> Yeah, it's yeah. true. Actually, my, all of my experiences, um, I have to say, have been pretty, um, like, I guess I would say average mm-hmm. would be the word to describe yeah. them. And I didn't have any significant tearing or suturing or whatever. So she's relatively, you know, the, like the same down there. But some people have uh, severe yes. tears or have had many different Um, interventions throughout their delivery. So when we're talking in that sort of immediate postpartum Mm -hmm. period and vagina care, what needs to be done and and how can mom care for herself during that Yeah, for the immediate postpartum period and, and you know, postpartum nurses are the most fantastic people in the world. They're going to help you out with this. In the immediate postpartum period, it's all about rest, um, ice to the area, um, using your squirt bottle when you um, urinate. Uh, oh, yeah, the squirt, squirt bottles, bottles are great. Those are my favorite. It's great. You want to use it to not only to clean, but as you're peeing, because um, around the urethral area, you can sometimes get small little tears or splits in the skin there. And that when pee touches that, that burns. And so that squirt bottle is good for that too. Um, you want to... Um, potentially even do some sits baths where you're soaking your your bottom, your um, your entire bottom and vulva in wa- some warm water to just kind of soak. And sometimes if you have little tears, again, around the urethra that are really tender, sometimes you actually want to pee into the bath to avoid um, to avoid the stinging of the urine on that area because it, it'll disperse the urine quicker so it won't hurt as much. Um, so those are probably the most immediate sort of things that ice pack is key though. Okay. And in terms of like normal versus abnormal Mm -hmm. healing, are there things that mom should be on the lookout for? Like, obviously we're given warning signs when leaving the hospital, but like amounts of bleeding, right? Um, like how much you're soaking right. your pads and if it's dwindling down. And often at your follow-ups, they're asking those types of questions and, and many other questions as well. Uh, but uh, is there any kind of abnormal things that moms should be on the lookout yes. for? Yes. So in terms of bleeding, you're right. We always tell moms to look out for bleeding. Your bleeding should be slowly decreasing day to day. Um, if it's ever starting to increase significantly, that needs to be looked at. Um, if you ever soak more than a pad an hour for more than two hours, you certainly need to be seen more urgently. Um, So definitely watch the bleeding pattern. It should be decreasing. Um, In terms of the vulvar area, you're going to be sore 
you know, no matter how normal or not normal or traumatic or not traumatic your delivery was, you're just, you're going to be sore and swollen. Um, And the immediate swelling is going to kind of, you know, go down slowly over time. And um, you're going to heal pretty quickly after about the first week or so. So that first like seven to 10 days is generally fairly tender. You're doing a waddle. Um, but but that's okay. And again, that should slowly get better every single day. Usually by day seven to 10, women are starting to feel a little more normal-ish, um, not so sore anymore. And certainly by like the three-week mark, you should start really be kind of not really back to normal, but not doing the waddle, not needing extra special care or anything like that. Um, bleeding will usually stop somewhere between two and four weeks after delivery with some variance there. Um, but yeah, those are that's the normal sort of things. If you ever have any really bad or foul smelling bleeding um, or a discharge that's not related to that kind of just normal old blood looking stuff that you need to be seen for. If your bottom is ever getting more painful instead of less painful, that you need to be seen for. Um, Fevers, chills, increased tenderness, um, those are all things that we'd want to see you about. One of the most relentless mental loads is being the juggler of medical appointments. Researching doctors, reading reviews, making phone calls to book appointments, it's a lot of stress when you're already juggling so much invisible labor. That's what makes ZocDoc great for moms. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare hundreds of types of highly rated in-network doctors, including mental health providers, and instantly book appointments with them online. ZocDoc has doctors of all specialties, including therapists, psychiatrists, and psychologists, with verified patient reviews so you can make sure they check all your boxes. You can find mental health providers who offer in-person appointments, virtual consults, or both, whatever works for you. The typical wait time to see a mental health provider booked on ZocDoc is just four days. Sometimes you can even book same-day appointments. Make juggling appointments easier with ZocDoc. Go to ZocDoc.com slash MomWell and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated therapist, psychiatrist, or psychologist today. That's zocdoccom slash MomWell. ZocDoc.com slash MomWell. Want to get smarter about your health but feel overwhelmed trying to separate fact from fiction? We hear a lot about gut health, microbiomes, and other nutrition topics, but taking the time to research these is exhausting, and there's a lot of misinformation out there. The Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast makes it so much easier to get the information you need. With the help of world-leading scientists, the podcast gives you research-based information so you can make informed choices for yourself without pressure and guilt. People are loving Zoe Science and Nutrition. Listener Stephanie's Apple Review says the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast is a life-changing, science-based, myth-busting podcast. That's a must-listen for anyone who eats food and wants to understand how it affects their body. With the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast, you can join Stephanie and millions of others accessing quality information about their health. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts. Mealtime with kids can be stressful. 
But with Factors Delicious ready-to-eat meals, it can be a lot easier. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to eat in just two minutes. No worrying about ingredients and nutrition, no prep, no mess, and no cooking while wrangling toddlers. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular options like Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover more than 60 add-ons every week, like breakfast, on-the-go lunch, snacks, and beverages to help you stay fueled and feel good all day long. What are you waiting for? Get started today and fuel up for your springtime goals. Factor can even be tailored to your schedule. Customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. Pause or reschedule deliveries to suit your lifestyle. Take the stress out of meals with Factor. Head to factormeals.com slash momwell50 and use code momwell50 to get 50% off your first box. You touched on something there about like our bum, and I don't know how much our bum relates to a happy mm-hmm. vagina, but postpartum, that was one of my most challenging yes. issues healing was was yep. hemorrhoids because that was sort of um, – and I didn't really expect mm-hmm. that. I didn't really know that was a thing until you become a mom and then you start right. having these conversations with other people, right? Um, is there a way to help to take care of that? Um, really, the main ways to take care of hemorrhoids, both during and after pregnancy, is to maintain soft stools that you can easily pass. So preventing constipation. Because while you're pregnant, you're, you've got something that's sitting in the pelvis that's putting pressure down on that pelvis that's kind of aggravating and creating the worsening those hemorrhoids. So pregnancy itself can worsen them. And then pregnancy can also make it constipated. So that act of being constipated and constantly having to sit on the, on the toilet for long periods of time or push really hard for long periods of time is also going to put pressure on your bum and create those hemorrhoids too. So it's all about um, keeping stools soft, keeping yourself regular and preventing the need for huge amounts of straining. Um, so lots and lots of water, lots of fiber, preferably natural fiber, like fruits, vegetables, skins of all that is great. Um, If that's not enough, then adding in um, uh, supplementary fibers, Metamucil, Benafiber, that sort of thing, also with a lot of water. Um, And then on top of that, if you need more, stool softeners. So Colace is a gentle stool softener um, that's over the counter. It's docosate sodium. Um, Miralax is a powder that you can mix in with a a drink of water that it it dissolves completely, is totally tasteless, and you want to drink that kind of in the morning. Um, And then we get into more kind of laxative like things, um, Senecot, that sort of thing. Um, So all of those things. Okay. And so you start, yeah, like you start at the beginning and if it's not working, you kind of work your way up in terms of intervention. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Like it's, it just makes you think back on your own experience and my experience obviously is, is just mine and everybody's is different, but um, I know that like bum and and mm-hmm. all of those areas, you know, postpartum are a part of healing and a yes. part of um, getting back to kind of your normal and whatever that exactly. Okay, so let's say you have been healing, you go for your like six or eight week checkup, let's say it is, 
And often we get cleared, you know, things are healing well, things are going good. And now what? How do we, well, when people come into my office, it's often, well, I don't have a sex drive, but I've been Mm -hmm. cleared to have sex or I'm scared to have sex because I am like, I've got scar tissue or I'm I'm just scared of how painful it will be. And, and often I find around that time for me with my office is like lots of sex questions. So how can we make sure our vagina is happy when it comes to easing back into postpartum. Yes, that is a tough one. And that's concern of probably 100% of women as well. By the six week mark, you physically, you should be pretty well healed. Your your stitches are long dissolved. Um, Any uh, tears or anything like that should be just completely healed. So physically, you should kind of be getting closer to normal. Um, But there's still postpartum a lot of hormonal changes going on, and there's still an ongoing healing process too. So things are not going to be 100% normal right away. So my tip to women is usually, you know, when you decide that you want to start and try to have sex again, make sure you're with, you know, a nice supportive and communicative partner because you're going to need to talk a lot. There's going to be a lot of direction going on here, you know go slower, touch here, don't touch there, stop for a second. You know, So there, there just needs to be really open lines of communication. You're going to have to ease into it and go slow at first. And then the other thing is use lots and lots of um, um, uh, added lubrication um, because that might not be back to your normal quite yet, especially if you're breastfeeding. Um, my favorite lubrication, if you don't need to use condoms, is coconut oil. Um, if you need to use condoms, then you want to avoid any oils um, and you want to look at more of a silicone or water-based, but silicone-based tend to be a little more slick um, and better to uh, prevent and avoid friction, which is part of what causes pain. So communication right. and lube and going really slow and easing into it. Right. I have two thoughts yes. as you're talking is one, you had mentioned th- that breastfeeding can interfere with your body's own natural Correct. Lubricant. Significantly. Can you break that down a yes. little bit? Okay. So breastfeeding is a completely different hormonal state than pregnancy. Breastfeeding, your prolactin levels are super high because you're trying to produce milk, but prolactin um, inhibits estrogen production. So your estrogen is actually really, really low during breastfeeding. So think of like, it's like when we think of women who are menopausal, right? Their estrogen levels are really low and they talk about decreased libido and increased vaginal dryness and pain with sex and all that sort of stuff. It's very similar during breastfeeding. Your estrogen levels are super low. So you're going to have a lot of um, vaginal dryness, which is then going to lead to irritation and can be painful with sex. Um, So that's probably the main um, complaints that I get uh, in postpartum women with pain with sex who are breastfeeding is it hurts, it burns, it's really irritating. Uh, What do I do? I'm so happy that we're having these conversations because the other thing that I was going to say is that that six-week checkup means that, yes, physically we are cleared, Mm -hmm. you know, to have sex, but doesn't mean that emotionally we're ready or that we're even have enough sleep to Or have energy or anything, right. 
or that baby's even going to allow for it, you know, like all of these types of things. So understanding our body is so empowering. Like when I work with women who are struggling with postpartum depression and have no sex drive at all, right? Uh, And there's a lot of shame and your whole sex life with your partner goes on a huge kind of journey through Mm -hmm. pregnancy. Some people really want lots of sex and the hormones and increased pleasure and all that blood flow like we were talking about. Some don't feel great about their body and body images is, is a big challenge. And so our the transition that we go through with our partner during this time and our sex life goes through. But I think that it's so valuable to also note that hormonally our makeup looks different during this time. Right. Like that is so empowering and valuable to know. And another, like a psychologist who I know out of Ottawa here in Toronto, Dr. Tracy Delegesh, I think is how you say her last name. Um, she specializes with couples and, and works a lot in with sex in this postpartum period. And she kind of says, you know, like you guys have to give yourself the year postpartum. Mm-hmm because of baby and because of your body and because of emotions and because of all types of different things. And now even more so in talking with you, that makes sense to me because generally a lot of moms, at least here when they're on mat leave in Canada, they're on mat leave for Mm -hmm. 12 months. They generally breastfeed for that time. So they're also going to just have a lower drive overall. While you're breastfeeding and while you're not having periods, your estrogen levels are are super low. And that has a huge effect on mood and sleep. And, um, you know, that's why we sometimes we get some hot flashes and that sort of stuff. That's where the vaginal dryness and discomfort comes from. Um, It's I mean, it's significant. We feel that. And now all of the moms listening are going to take this <laughs> this information to their partner and say, guess what? I, I've got the year off. If we're talking about happy vagina, it means yeah, it, sometimes it needs a little rest. <laughs> she needs a break. <laughs> so funny. <laughs> I, I joke, but yeah, it's so funny because um, – Yeah, there's so many variables in the postpartum period to make intimacy happen, but hormones and drive is one of them. And then even just schedule and availability and all of that. And it's funny because, you know, I'll have some women who are exclusively breastfeeding have a lot of discomfort and feel a lot of these symptoms. And I'll have other women who are exclusively breastfeeding that really don't feel that different. They feel fine. They don't have dryness or, or irritation or anything like that. So they're in even here, there's a huge range of what's normal. All right. So I'm trying to think of what other areas then in terms of vagina health or caring for ourselves postpartum, because now we're healed. Now we're through a Mm six-week checkup. We may be starting to introduce some intimacy as, you know, life and baby and everything. The stars align and we can allow it, you know. Uh, what other things should we be on the lookout for? What other ways can we be caring for ourselves? Well, I think to, I want to go back to the, the sex talk just a little bit because even yeah. um, even after our six week check, uh, you know things might be okay. I still want women to realize that that sex and returning to a normal sex life is an ongoing process, and you're not alone if you don't feel like you're back to normal. At three months, there's still about a third of women who are having difficulties or problems or pain with sex. At six months, it's still about 20% of women are having difficulties and pain with sex. And at one year, even it's about eight to 10%. So if 
ongoing issues are common, happen. But if you're at the three-month mark and you're still having pain or difficulties, we need to start reevaluating and addressing what we want to do about that. But also just know that you're not alone either. I appreciate you sharing that. And I actually uh, recently recorded with a pelvic floor Mm -hmm. physio. And uh, one of the topics that she says comes up for her in her clinic a lot is painful sex. And then so I guess potentially around that three-month marker, if it doesn't start to resolve, um, she will work with people on relaxing the pelvic floor and exercises to stretch out the vagina opening and like all kinds of different strategies that can be used to help your intimacy be enjoyable. Right. Right. Um, And I know mommy friends who had, I think it was like a third or fourth degree care, like very significant traumatic birth that she had gone through um, and a lot of scar tissue and a lot of work and healing that needed to be done. And then also a lot of fear about even allowing and relaxing her body for her to enjoy sex with her partner because of the significant you know, sort of trauma that her body had right. gone through. But she worked with a pelvic floor physio and she, you know, worked through her own sort of trauma of the experience and is able to have a happy, fulfilling, pleasurable sex life right. as well. So there are interventions. There are. Pelvic floor physical therapists are like magical unicorns. They are so valuable and can do such incredible work with just, with just physical therapy. Uh, most women postpartum don't necessarily need a pelvic floor physical therapist. But if you've ever had a third or fourth degree tear, I will talk about pelvic floor physical therapy to 100% of those patients and and talk to them about going to one. Um, it, it is a very, very valuable resource and tool. So like incredible how much they can help and the knowledge yes. they have and the exercises that you can do at home and the way they empower yep. you to be able to, you know, heal and do those things. Um, and one of the things we talked a lot about was urine incontinence on that show yes. and on that episode and how, you know, our mom's generation kind of was just like, oh, throw on a pad. Like that's normal. Yeah. You had children, <laughs> you should live with it, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and how, yeah. Like that, that was a whole discussion and there's so many exercises even for that postpartum that you can do and how you can take yep. care of yourself. And, and I know that even if we're like pulling it back to the sex talk, like urine leakage can interfere with intimacy and your body image and stuff with your partner. So yes. again, pelvic floor physiotherapy is a great resource for those types of things postpartum. Yes. For urinary incontinence, for um, pelvic organ prolapse, for pain with sex, um, pelvic pain in general, um, pelvic floor physical therapy is really, you know, it's a lifesaver for a lot of people. Awesome. Okay. So now that we've tackled a sex talk, I love sex talks. It's so good. I think it's so <laughs> valuable for people. Um, but now, so for if we're beyond that three-month mark, and let's yep. just say for the sake of, you know, moving forward that we have adjusted and intimacy is feeling more comfortable now, um, as we go through at this postpartum period and just go on sort of with life, what sort of things might we be mindful of or how can we keep our vaginas happy during that stage? Yeah, I think then we kind of are trying to get back to normal and trying to get back to our daily life. Um, and then we're just 
getting back down to the basics again, you know, if we're breastfeeding, we're thinking about dryness and irritation. Do we need to add any sort of lubrication? In some significant cases, I add vaginal estrogen to those to those women to help with that area. Um, and then just normal stuff, you know, of avoiding the irritants, avoiding the bubble baths, the bath bombs, um, scented soaps, um, harsher soaps, um, no douching whatsoever, and try to avoid panty liners and um, pads when you're not on your period and don't need them. So then we, tr- we try to get back to our basics. Okay, so I just want to go back to something that you were just saying. You were talking about how there's vaginal dryness and that you would sometimes even do vaginal estrogen. So some women, yes. I'm understanding, if I'm understanding correctly, have, even without it being intimate, just have an uncomfortable amount of dryness postpartum yes. without intimacy? Correct. Can you break that down for me a little bit? And how would one know like what is normal versus abnormal and, and when would they talk to their doctor about that? Right. And I think it, it, again, it's just, you know, are you noticing your vulva on a daily basis or are you not? Um, Because you shouldn't be. But if you're noticing just kind of irritation or again, kind of friction on your clothes, chafing or rubbing, um, that might be something to talk about. Obviously, any itching or burning or irritation we we want to know about. Um, and then because a lot of women are automatically going to think, oh, I have a yeast infection or I have bacterial vaginosis or some other sort of thing, we want to bring you in to really um, appropriately diagnose you so we can appropriately treat you because each of those things is a different treatment. Um, And sometimes it might not be an infectious source of any sort. If you are breastfeeding, it could certainly just be the dryness that's causing that irritation or chafing sort of feeling. Um, But that's just diagnosable on exam and you need to be seen. So interesting. I had no idea. And that is something that anyone's OBG would be trained in? Yes. Okay. Yeah. We should all be able to, to pick up on that and and realize that that's what's going on. I think for most part, when postpartum women with the vaginal dryness with breastfeeding, usually they're noticing it with sex. Usually it's coming as a complaint of pain and irritation and burning with sex. Um, but, but I do occasionally will get women who feel it just on a day-to-day basis too. Okay. Because I know here, like, so I didn't have um, an OBG for, I don't think, any of my births. So I had midwives as my primary care mm-hmm. for birthing. And then I had my GP. And I didn't, I was only under the care of an OBG at one point when I had, like, chronic migraines. And they were helping me get my migraines in check. Mm-hmm. So in that case, if I had any kind of, like, vaginal dryness or itchiness, I wouldn't have had access to an OBG. It would have been, like, my GP who may or may not, like, I don't know what their training is. Like, I would hope they would be able to distinguish what is due to, like, sort of hormones and dryness and postpartum versus what is, like, yeast infection and things like that. Right. So I always like to ask, like, where do we go to make sure we're getting the right information? And who do we see to make sure we're getting the accurate opinion? Because in the postpartum period, we see this even with mental health, that there is a lot of specialized training that needs, like, whether it's with your medications and reproductive psychiatrists and things, or whether Mm -hmm. it's with... Um, like maternal mental health specialists in the mental health field. So I always like to advocate, like have women advocate for themselves and know that they're seeing the right professional for their issue, you know? So question for you, how long did your midwife follow you after delivery? And then when did you go back to your GP? 
So my midwives follow me till I believe it's like six weeks postpartum, uh-huh. six, maybe eight. I want to say it's like six. And it really wasn't even following me, if I'm honest. It's yeah. following baby. baby. And have okay. I seen my GP since then? No, I actually haven't. I haven't even seen my GP. <laughs> actually, no, that's a fib. I did. I had uh, like I had a rough time with postpartum, actually. And I uh-huh. took myself in to my GP and advocated. And my oh, GP actually tried to say, oh, you're just busy and you need more help and you need more sleep. And I'm like, no. I'm trained in postpartum depression. Like I know and I'm here and I'm telling you like I'm struggling, right? Uh, But aside from that, where I went in to advocate for that, there was no follow-up or conversations. Yeah. Because you really midwives should be able to recognize and diagnose all of these things too. Um, at least the midwives that I've worked with in the past, they will follow women through at least usually, you know, the six to eight weeks postpartum, but oftentimes they also become more of like their GYN for at least the first 12 months of postpartum too. Oh, really? Um, But yeah, all the midwives that I've worked with could could easily recognize yeast infections, bacterial vaginosis, and, you know, breastfeeding issues and that sort of thing too. So... The man, the midwife would be a great resource for that if if that's who you were seeing. Yeah, like I absolutely loved, I had a team of midwives for all three and they were the same yeah. team and they delivered all three boys and their care was amazing. But here in Canada, like in Ontario specifically where I am, mm-hmm. care ends at like six or eight weeks. Yeah, so, so it's, it's probably, not like yeah. if I was had like a problem that came up, like even when my postpartum came up, which was outside of that range, it was like mm-hmm. between eight and 10 weeks. I didn't even yeah. have the midwives as a resource at that time. Uh, I wish uh, I had. Yeah. I did. I wish I had because like you build that relationship with them as they track with you through that whole process as well. Right. Right. So it sounds right. like where you are, midwives stay as primary care, like for a while postpartum. Yeah. And it just depends on the practice and the model. Everyone's a little bit different, but there are some midwifery practices that will practice and follow you through 12 months. Um, in the larger, I used to be at a larger academic center and um, midwives could continue to, you know, to follow you even further than that and do kind of some general GYN care too. Um, and here, if you're primarily seeing a, a doctor, an OBGYN, then that's often the doctor that you're seeing for all of your OBGYN forever. So you're continually following up and seeing the same person um, even beyond your 12 months because you're going to see them at least once a year anyway. So it, I guess the access is a little bit easier to that sort of specialty. Yeah, access to care, even though our healthcare is publicly funded, is an mm-hmm. ongoing struggle. And it's, you know, often talked about because we'll wait in the system for specialized referrals for months and months and months. And right. people will go stateside to get a consult in a timely manner and things. So there are definitely some hiccups with our healthcare system. We're fortunate that it's provided for us, but you right. really need to know the system and you need to know how to advocate for Correct. yourself, which I feel is why I'm also very passionate about knowing knowing the specialist and know who you can see and who you ask to be referred to, to get the answers that you need, you know? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I am just absorbing all of this (laughs) information. I'm loving every minute of this. And who knew that talking about vagina and vaginas and vaginas and vagina health could be so much fun. Um, It is. Yeah, it totally is. Okay. So 
just thinking back over the things that we have discussed when we've got pregnancy and once we're like healed postpartum, we've got the idea that less is more, right? Yes. We don't need all the frills. We don't need all the scents. We don't need to get all up in there and scrub out every corner. Like we need to just let our vagina be and let it do its thing. Exactly. Self-cleaning oven. Self-cleaning oven. I love that analogy. It's so good. (laughs) And then when it comes to like the medium, the sorry, the immediate postpartum, we've got often nurses and access to healthcare professionals that are going to check in on us so we really heal properly and know what is normal and what's not normal during that time. Exactly. Then we get beyond the three months and let's say everything is healed properly and we're back in like a maintenance type mode, right? Is yep, there, basically maintenance. Yeah. So is there a time then that we need to be mindful of or, or does our vagina go through any other major life changes after <laughs> birth or is she just kind of happy and going to find her groove with her partner or what? Well, hopefully she finds a groove kind of by the 12-month mark. And certainly between that three-month and 12-month mark, if you're having any issues, that is a signal to go be seen and get evaluated. Beyond that 12-month mark, hopefully we kind of go back to and find our new normal and going back to our normal menstrual cycle and our normal hormonal cycle. And then our next big kind of step and change that we are going to get into is when we get down the road to perimenopause and menopause, which usually starts, you know, 40s and late 40s and into the early 50s. Okay. So lots of hormone changes at that time, lots of body changes, and therefore lots of vagina changes as well. Yes. Yes. Interesting. Well, that will have to be another show for another day, but I would (laughs) love to tackle that one as well because I'm sure that women have lots of questions about that and don't know what is normal and, and, you know, lots of questions. So, so many questions. You know, I I just did a whole um, question answer session with another um, Instagram um, group that focuses on perimenopause and so many common questions around the perimenopause and menopausal time. So valuable. That's something that we'll definitely have to tackle because, you know, some of our audience might be there or some of our audience is going to end up there and go through it. And it's great to be empowered with knowledge and know what to expect and know that you're not alone in experiencing these things. Exactly. Knowledge is power. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Dr. Stacy. I have loved having you here so much. I love your approach to women's health and sort of the fun and sassy way you deal with it. I think that it's amazing. And uh, I know that our audience will be so informed after this conversation. So thank you for being here. Yeah. Thank you for having me, Erica. It's been really fun. And I I think just when you talk, when we talk to patients, the more comfortable we can be talking about it, the more I can get my patients to open up to me and talk to me about it. So really, that's where just the fun and the sassiness comes from is I just want to have a girlfriend conversation and get you to pour your heart to me so I can help you through this process. And I am here for all of it. Hey, and it worked with me because you got me spilling my vulva story too. So I love it. It's very approachable. And I appreciate the work that you're doing. And thank you so much. Thank you very much. As always, I'm so 
happy and grateful that I can share this space with you. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening. Quick question for you. Have you joined our Facebook community yet? If you head to facebook.com slash group slash happy as a mother, you can join our private community and connect with like-minded, supportive moms. If you're looking for any of the resources that were discussed in today's episode, you can head on over to our show notes. All the links to the resources and all the contact information for our amazing guest will be there. Make sure to subscribe to the show so you don't miss a single episode. And if you can't wait until the next episode to connect with me, I'll be hanging out over on Instagram at underscore happy as a mother. I'll see you right back here for the next episode. Settling is not an option for Everything me. I desire is already mine. What if you can have it all? Because every day is for the girls. Hello, hello. Welcome to For the Girls podcast, hosted by Victoria Alario, For the Girls Who Want More. Listening to For the Girls will have you ready to raise the bar, stop settling for the bare minimum, and start believing you can have it all and step into the 2.0 version of you. You can catch a new episode of For the Girls every Monday across all podcast platforms. Until next time, girls.